God sent his only son that we might live in and through him. But whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, passing from death to life as we love one another, not being led astray, but remaining in his light where there is no darkness at all. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let us love one another without fear, for perfect love drives out fear. And if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. Believe in the name of his son and love one another. Dear children, let us not only love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Good morning. I am so glad that you're here, uh, that you have chosen to take some of your weekend to be able to gather uh, with the body of Christ, to lift up the name of Jesus, to look into his word, to celebrate. Those of you online, so grateful that you join with us from wherever you're coming from every single week and uh, glad to have you here today. We're just a couple weeks left in our, study, in our series called Go and Love and Be a Light. We've been looking at this book of 1 John way at the back of the New Testament, this sermon that John had written to a, a congregation that he had been a pastor of. It's, it's more of a sermon than a letter, and we've been looking at this for several months. We're going to uh, finish it up next weekend. Um, before we get into it today, I want to take some of you back um, to uh, a movie that uh, had Jack Palance and, um, and Billy Crystal. And it was a movie called City Slickers. Now, I just want to say this. It's been decades since I've watched it. So this is not a blanket endorsement because I can't remember everything in the movie. And if I say, you ought to go watch it, and then it's horrible. So I'm just... So in this movie, there, there's a scene that I do remember. And to me, this was the, the classic, the apex of the whole movie. Jack Palance is this, this leathery, weathered old, you know, cowboy. And Billy Crystal is this city slicker. And they're on horses and they're driving the, the herds across the, the prairie. And there's this conversation that takes place, transpires between the two of them. Jack Palance says something, you know, that's, you guys are all alike. You spend 50 weeks a year getting your rope all knotted up. And then you come out here for a couple weeks and expect to untangle it. And then he makes this, he asks this question. He says, do you know what the secret of life is? And then he answers it with this picture. And Billy Crystal says, your finger? And he says, one thing, one thing. Stick to one thing, and in essence, everything else will take care of itself. To which Billy Crystal says, so what's the one thing? He says, you have to find that out. Well, the reason I tell you that is in our study of 1 John, the passage that we're going to land on today is where I believe John, if he were with his congregation, he'd say, listen, this sermon, one thing, this is it, what I'm talking about right here. And it's not just the one thing for his sermon. John heard this one thing from Jesus, heard Jesus say, this is the one thing. And it's amazing how in this letter of 1 John, and even in this passage we'll look at today, how much he repeats the words of Jesus, the things he learned from Jesus five, six decades earlier. And that one thing, he says, the one thing is love. Now, if you've read this short book, it's only five chapters. If you've read it or if you've been in this series, or if you even know the title of the series that we've been in, you're like, well, of course, it's, it's, that's kind of the, the, the whole point of it all. In fact, 
as we've talked about, John writes this not in a, in a linear fashion like Paul would write. His is more circular. He'll hit a theme and then he'll come back around and hit it from another angle and hit it from another angle. And with this whole idea of love, this is the third time he comes back around to it in this short little book. He hits it once in, in chapter two. We kind of skipped over it knowing that we were going to hit it later. And then he hits it again in chapter 3, uh, which uh, Pastor Kip preached about, uh, I think, three weeks ago. And then he hits it again now in chapter 4. He comes back to it. And this point, this one is where it's like the whole of the book is kind of leading up to and crescendoing up to this is the apex. This is the point. This is like what it's all been building up towards. And what he hits in this passage we'll look at. Then what we finish off with next week kind of rounds it off and, and confirms that. And he pulls a pastor kip on them, really. In essence, he says, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, this is the one, love. This is the one thing. This is the point, love. And when he says that, this love that he's talking about is not some fluffy, flowery love. It's not some just sentimental, emotional love. It's not some little Pinterest love. It's not a little platitude love. It's far deeper than that and far more profound. As we will see, when he says this one thing of love He's talking about some very deep theology that goes to the very core of the nature and, and the essence of who God the Father is. When he talks about this love, he talks about the costly sacrifice that is displayed and demonstrates this love through the, the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ, and confirmed in the Holy Spirit. And then he rounds it all off with this very practical, very personal, very difficult challenge of how we live this out in our lives. Now, if you've been with us in this series, you know that every week I've taken one to three verses. Three is the max that I've tried to cover. And so today, what I'd like to do, a couple things differently. One is I would like to read the entirety of this passage that we're going to cover. It's 15 verses, a longer reading. I'd like to just read straight through it so we see it in its context. And I'm going to try to cover a few more verses, maybe not as in-depth as I have some of the others. But it's found in 1 John chapter 4, not the Gospel of John. 1 John's way in the back of the New Testament. Chapter 4. And I want to read about 15 verses, starting at verse 7. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he who has given us this command, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There is so much in there, so much. And some of the things that jump out at me as I, as I read that, one is how often he refers back to the words of Jesus, the things that Jesus taught him, the things that he recorded in his gospel that Jesus has said. Another thing that strikes me is, is that in this passage, he's come to them not as a spiritual father, not as a pastor. There's other times in the, in the, in the, the, the book where he'll say, you know, uh, my dear children, you and this. Here he says a lot of us and we. He's not speaking to them as their pastor, as their spiritual leader. He's speaking to them as their brother, as one of them. This applies to him as well. And he's including him with them. And how frequently he comes back to the one thing. 27 times in 15 verses, he says, love, 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 love. Over and over again, the one thing, love. And it's this one thing that he wants them to get. Karl Barth um, was generally um, accepted as one of the, the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He was uh, born in Switzerland, a Swiss theologian. He was a pastor. He was a, a professor. He was a theologian. He was an author, uh, wrote some incredible things. His work on the, the uh, his commentary on the book of Romans really revolutionized the, the church again, you know, not to the, not to the effect of, of Martin Luther, but in a great way in the 20th century. And his life work, you know, kind of his, his big piece was this thing called Church Dogmatics. It was going to be five volumes long. He died before it got completed. And he would take his sermons and his lectures and he would add to it. Every single year it would get bigger and bigger. By the time he died, the, four, the first four volumes were done. There was still one more volume to go. He didn't get to that. But the four volumes that he did write had six million words, 9,000 pages. Now... I have not read those pages. I've read about them, and I'm satisfied to do just that. But in 1962, he was touring the United States on a theological lecture tour. And he was at the University of Chicago, and he gave a lecture, a deep lecture. And here's this man who's literally, as a pastor, he's preached hundreds of sermons. As a professor, he's given thousands of lectures. He's written thousands of pages and books and tomes, and he's written millions of words. And at the Q&A after one of his lectures, one of the students said, Dr. Bart, is it possible for you to summarize all of your life's work in theology into one sentence? To which he replied, yes. Now remember, he's written thousands of pages, preached hundreds and thousands of sermons, lectures. And he says, I can sum all of my theological work up into one sentence. And he says, in fact, it's a sentence that I learned on my mother's knee. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This great theological thinker, he says, if I had to sum up all the thousands of pages, the volumes that I've written, it would come down to this. Someone else, when summarizing Karl Barth's work, wrote it this way. The essence of the Christian, Christian message is the overwhelming love of the absolutely supreme transcendent God who comes in infinite condescension to give himself to mankind in unconditional freedom and grace. I'll stick with Jesus loves me because I can understand that a whole lot more. But he says this is the essence. This is the one thing. And so 
John writes this, and he says it's the essence, the essence of love. And this love that he's talking about is at such a deeper level than, than the world's love, such a, even a deeper level than brotherly love, such a deeper level than natural love, such a deeper level than our, what our world calls love, the, the, the lyrics of your love songs that are so touching and warm. And I'm not against love songs. I love them. But he says it's deeper than that, deeper than your rom-coms. And I'm okay with you guys watching those as long as I don't have to, especially Hallmark Channel stuff at Christmas. <laughs> you know, deeper than all of your sophomoric the reality shows, the bachelor, and I know I'm stepping on your toes, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and 90-Day Fiance and Marriage at First Sight, all of that. He says, no, 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 it is so much deeper than that, the essence of this love that we're talking about. So let's walk through some of these verses. He starts verse 7, and he says, dear friends, as we've talked about, a better translation for that would be beloved. He's their pastor, and he loves them, but more than that, they are beloved of God. The love that the Father has lavished on them that they would be called the children of God. Dear friends, beloved, he says, let us love one another. And we'll get to that. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He says, this love that we're talking about, this love that is the one thing, the essence of it, the source is from God. It's from God. That's where it all stems from. If you ever experience or if you ever give or you ever have any of that love in your life or this world, it came from God. And he says, and there's a direct correlation. There's a connection. There's an evidence. Anyone who loves knows God and is born of God. He says, that's just the way it is because it comes from God. So if you really have this love, you know God and you've been born of him. And then he says, and the converse is true. And he restates it in the negative with an even stronger statement and he says this, kind of the, the contrary, whoever does not love does not know God. Just kind of throws it out there. You, you, you say you know God. Now remember, one of the things, the reason for this sermon, this letter, was to correct some faulty teachings. Some of the things that, that the false teachers had said. Some of the things that they claimed to know. He says, you, you know, you claim to, to know God. You claim to love God. You claim to have all this, but you don't love. No, no, you don't. And he says, this is why I can say that. For God is love. And those three words, God is love. Simple enough for a child to understand. Uh, I grew up singing this little song, praise him, praise him, all you little children. God is love. God is love. And we just repeat it again. Praise him, praise him, all you little children. You can understand this. God is love. And yet those words, as simple enough for a child to understand, are so deep that the greatest theologians have spent their entire life and never, ever plumbed the depths of this. What does that truly mean? How do we live that out? How can we fully understand this? I want to make a statement here that some of you might like question, but I will hold to it until the day I die. It is impossible, humanly impossible to exaggerate the goodness, the greatness, the beauty, and the depth of God's love. It is humanly impossible. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. No one can do it. It is impossible to exaggerate the depth and the beauty and the glory of God's love for us. We simply can't. In fact, you see throughout scripture, this Love that cannot be exaggerated as even the word of God tries to help us understand it in Psalms 103 where it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who, care, who follow him, who fear him. 
As high as the heavens are above the earth, they didn't even have a clue how high the heavens We don't even have a clue how high the heavens are above the earth. But in God's infinite word, he says, listen, if there was any way to even measure that, God's love is so much greater than that. In Jeremiah 31, 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The eternal one who has no beginning, who has no end, who transcends time. He says, do you not understand? For you as human beings, there's always a start and finish. You're linear. There's always that, but not with me. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Before the foundations of the world were even formed, I loved you. And long after this earth has passed away in the new heavens and the new earth and into eternity, I will love you. I have loved you with an everlasting. You can't exaggerate that kind of love because we can't even grasp that kind of love. In Romans chapter 8, we sang about it this morning. You read through Romans 8, all the things he says, I am convinced that none of these things can separate us from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not principalities, not, not you know, today or tomorrow, even death itself cannot separate us from the love of God. You can't exaggerate his love. On top of that, Paul would pray for the church in Ephesus that they would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that, listen to this, that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled with, to the measure of all the fullness of God. So you can't even contain so how could you ever exaggerate? And that's just God's love. But he says it's even beyond that. He says God is love. Now, don't get mixed up and say, well, that means love is God. And Okay, that's, that's kind of a hippie thing. But God is love. And it goes beyond it. It's not just an attribute. And this is, again, where we, we could spend a lot of time. There's the attributes of God. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is loving, but he says he's not just loving. God is love. It's the very character. It's the very center of who he is so that because God is love, everything he is and everything he does flows out of love. When God creates, he creates in love. When God blesses, he blesses in love. When God disciplines, he disciplines in love. When God redeems, he redeems in love. When God judges, he judges in love. Everything about God is love. He is love. Now listen, we could go on and on and on. But when John comes along, he says, there's one thing. You got to understand, we're not talking about some frivolous little surface level, you know, palpitations in your heart, little quiver in your liver or whatever. I mean, this is so much deeper. And it's not just this esoteric, ethereal, theological concept that deep theologians cannot grasp. He says, it's not just these things that we proclaim. There's also the expression of love. And he doesn't just proclaim it. He shows it. Some of you remember the, the two-hit wonder out of the 90s, the, the, the band called Extreme. They sang two songs that were big, Wholehearted, and the other one was this ballad, um, More Than Words. Saying I love you. We could have a great 90s uh, sing-along right now, but we're not going to. More than words. And God says, okay, let me give you more than words. More than words. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. Doesn't just tell us about it. Doesn't just write about it in, in the scriptures. He shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Now, again, this is a little... A little uh, side trail. 
He's been fighting in this sermon. John has been fighting against some of these false teachers, the Gnostics, who come in with all this knowledge, and there's weird teachings that Jesus either isn't God or he isn't human. We covered all that. But when he comes back around to it, because he does this again and again, he says, God sent him, reemphasizing the preexistent state of Jesus, that Jesus didn't start when he was born in Bethlehem. He always was. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Sent from God, he's fully divine, born of a woman, fully human. And he's coming back to that. This one that was sent from God. This is what John had put in his gospel in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That Jesus, this one sent, his, own, his one and only, that sound familiar? Only begotten, the one and only son, It's not the only one created. It's the only one of his kind. This one who's the second person of the Trinity that's fully God. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, as it says in Colossians. And so God shows, he demonstrates, he displays his love by sending his son. And why? Why would he send his son? That we might live through him. Not just exist not just have a heart that beats and lungs that breathe and days upon it, to live, to come to life. And isn't that the theme that Jesus talked about again and again? He always talks about this life that he's come to bring. I mean, he speaks to this uh, a seeking Pharisee. He talks to a grieving sister. He talks to Pharisees who are trying to corner him. He talks to his disciples. I mean, again and again in the synagogues, he comes back to this theme that that I've come that you would would be alive, that you would not just exist, but you would experience this. In John's um, introduction of the gospel, in John chapter 1, it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John just records all these things. Remember, he sat with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus. He records them all. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, this Pharisee who's curious about Jesus but afraid of his friends, comes at night. And Jesus doesn't condemn him. Jesus just says, here's the good news. And one of the things he says is, it's about life. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, talking about himself, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. In John chapter 6, Jesus is in the synagogue in Capernaum, up there by the Sea of Galilee in the northwest corner. And he's in the synagogue and he's teaching. And he's just fed the 5,000 and they're wanting more bread. And he says these incredible words in that synagogue, I am the bread of life. John chapter 10, he would be in Jerusalem. A man had been healed. The Pharisees were all upset. And Jesus says these words, I have come that they may have life have it to the full, not just going through more days, not just marking time on a calendar, but to have life. John chapter 11, Martha is weeping at her brother's tomb, and Jesus is there consoling her, and he says to her, just believe, because I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, he's with his disciples in the upper room. And he's teaching them this last time together as they have this final meal. And he says to them these profound words, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now John, as he's recorded all those in his gospel, he circles back around and he says, this is how God shows his love to us. He sent the preexistent, the, the fully God de, uh, deity in Jesus. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him, that we would live through him. Verse 10, this is love, kind of circles back around, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Now, he'll repeat this again. You, you see this circular. He'll repeat this again in verse 19. You know, we love, uh, we love because he first loved us. And again, he says, and he sent his, his son. And then he, then he expands it even further. As an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, this is uh, that atoning sacrifice. This is something we looked at, I don't know, um, five, six weeks ago. The, the theological word is propitiation. It's this idea of a, a substitution it finds its roots clear back in Leviticus 16, where, where actually back in Genesis, where, where an animal is substituted to cover over the sin and the guilt and the shame, and it's all throughout the sacrificial system. Remember we talked about the Hunger Games? Were you here for that? <laughs> Primrose and, 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 and uh, Katniss, and Katniss takes Primrose's place, kind of stands in her stead. That's the idea of the propitiation that Jesus stands in and says, I will take their punishment. I will take their guilt. I will take their shame. I will take their death so that they can have life. See, there's no greater proof of love than that. Jesus would say in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And then it goes on and says, and he has called us friends, which I find interesting. Because it's not like Jesus says, oh, these guys... These ladies, these are like my best friends. I mean, they walk with me, they obey me, they love me, they serve me, they worship me, so I'm going to lay down my life. No, no, it's just the opposite. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. Here it is again, not just words. He's demonstrating emphasis. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we were BFFs. We were sinners. We were rebellious. We were far from God. Colossians chapter 1 says it again. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Ephesians 2 says again, we were dead in our transgressions and sins and we were objects of wrath. And it's because of and only because of God's great love for us that he brings us in. It's what God has done. And we only love him because he first loved us. You read through this, and you just see all of the things that Jesus said and did. And John now is an old man, probably in his 80s or even up to 90. Thinks back 55, 60 years earlier. Thinks back to all the things that he experienced with Jesus. Thinks back to that night when they were in that upper room. Jesus washed their feet. They celebrated the Passover, and then Jesus did some things it didn't quite make sense at that point. The Passover, he takes the bread, which is not unusual, and he breaks it, but he says something different this time. He says this as he breaks the bread. This is my body broken for you. What, what does that even mean, Jesus? I, 
And then he takes the cup. And he says, and this is the blood of the new covenant. They're celebrating what happened in Exodus and the, and the Passover and, and, and the lamb and, and all the symbolism. And, and now he's, he's pointing to himself over and over again. It doesn't make sense, this bread and this, this cup, this body and this blood. And the next day, Jesus was crucified. And Scripture says there was only one disciple who was at the cross that day. Only one. John. John had not only heard Jesus say, this is my body broken. This is my blood poured out. Do this in remembrance of me. But he's the only disciple that saw it. Hanging on the cross. His body broken. The blood dripping down. And I've got to believe that for the rest of his life, and I don't know if he did this every day or if he did it every week or every month, how often. Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me, that for John, more than any of the other disciples, there was such a deep resonance. He had heard it. He had seen it. He had experienced it. So I'm going to stop my sermon here because today I want us to remember this as well. And those of you at home, hopefully you've prepared some elements. I think Pastor Brian mentioned that before the service. But we're going to take communion if you would like to. And here's what we're going to do. Is that uh, here in the room, there's a couple places here and one in the back. And Ron's just going to play. And, and this is what I'm going to ask for the next few minutes. If you want to take communion, to go and get the cup and, and, the, and the, the, the bread. And then bring it back to your chair. And if you don't want to participate or today's not a good day, don't worry. Okay? But I would ask that you would hold on to it. And during this time, that you not start putting together a list of all the things you're going to do this afternoon or all the things you've got to accomplish this week. That in, during this time, because it's so rare in our weeks that are so filled that we can just stop and focus. And those of you at home as well, please, for your own sake, not for my sake, because I'll never know, for your own soul, would you take this moment to just focus, not check scores, not check the Facebook, just focus. And we'll take a few minutes for everyone to be served. And then I want us to take this together. But during these moments, reflect on this. The essence of love is that it comes from God, and God is love. And he demonstrates it by sending his only son so that we could live through him because he is our atoning sacrifice. So go ahead and get the elements if you'd like, and then in a couple minutes, I'll lead us in communion.
Scripture says that Scripture says that he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks for it. So this is my body that's broken for you. So Father, we thank you for the display of unfathomable love in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we do this in remembrance. In the same way, he took the cup. You know, so often in our world, a cup is taken and it's raised as a toast. And as best as people can figure out, that whole tradition of raising a cup as a toast dates back to ancient Greeks at their feast when the king would raise up his glass of wine and pour some of it out as a libation in order to honor the gods. But at this meal, the king of kings does not pour out wine as a libation to some god. He is God. And it's not wine that he's pouring out. His blood would be poured out to honor those who are dishonorable by our sin, our rebellion. So that he could stand in our place and we could be sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. It's a new covenant in his blood. And Jesus, we thank you for the willingness to pour out your blood that we would be called righteous and holy, forgiven children of the Most High God. And today, Jesus, We do this in remembrance of you. You know, the essence of God's love is so deep. And there was, and I I know I've done this like three weekends in a row. But there's a hymn that I grew up with, and one of the things I love about the hymn is the story that they tell. And, and as someone who talks for a living, sometimes the beauty of the wordsmithing is amazing. And I want to read you these lyrics that are over 100 years old. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. The third verse illustrates how you cannot exaggerate the love of God. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every tree on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. 
nor could the scroll contain the whole. Those stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. You cannot exaggerate the beautiful depth, greatness, extent of God's love for you. That's the essence of his love and the expression of his love found in what Christ would do. So what? Now, therefore, in light of, as a result of, and this is where it comes to us, it's the expectation of love. That after God has loved us that way, as he poured out such an incredible thing, how else should we, how else could we live? Verse 11, dear friends, beloved, those who have experienced the love of God, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. After all that we've experienced, after all that God has done, after all that he is doing, after all that he will do out of his love for us, how could we respond in any other way? but a life of love. The Gnostics had come into this church and had tried to mess them up in their thinking and tried to say it's all about these things and, and their belief systems. And John says, wait, 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 one thing, one thing, love. I think that's why Paul would write to the church in Corinth that it, it's good that you have knowledge and it's good that you have spiritual gifts, and it's good that you do these things, but if you don't have the one thing, it doesn't matter. He'd write, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have the one thing, but don't have love, it's like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and I have a faith that can move mountains. Impressive, all of it. But if I don't have the one thing, I do not love. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess away, give it all to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, I'm a martyr, unbelievable acts, but have not love, I gain nothing. To live this life of love. And he goes on, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we had time, there's so many times he comes back to this completion, this perfection. It's what God has done and it's what he's doing and it's the ongoing work. It's not just us receiving his love, but receiving it and now then sending it, trans transmitting it, giving it away the same way that we've received it. That completes his work within us that we aren't just recipients, but now we partner with him in bringing that love to this world. In verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, the spirit that dwells right within us. 
begins to bring a transformation in our life, begins to develop his fruit. And the first attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, love. Love. So let's bring it home. When we've experienced this kind of love, and God calls us to love, our lives should be marked by love. Not just natural love. I mean, Jesus said, hey, you know, you love those who love you. Everyone does that. Set the bar a little higher. And it's not even just brotherly love. I mean, I don't have to spend any time to tell you we live in a world that is filled with hatred and division and villainizing someone that thinks differently, believes differently, looks differently, lives differently, votes differently, and there's sides on all this, and the cruelty and the, 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 just the hatred in our world. And, and it's, the, it's just, and it's almost like we get impressed when someone has a bumper sticker that says, coexist, tolerance. And it's interesting that those bumper stickers all have to do with religions. Like religions are the problem. And sometimes they are. But when John comes along, repeating what he learned from Jesus, who's reflecting the Father, he's saying, listen, tolerance and coexistence is not what I'm looking for here. Tolerance and coexistence is what your parents were looking for when you were in the backseat of the station wagon with your sister on the way to California. <laughs> just tolerate each other. Just ignore her. Just coexist back there. And John says, that bar is way too low. That's the best this world could hope for. He says, I don't want you to tolerate your enemy. I don't want you to coexist with your enemy. He raises that bar and says, I want you to love to bless, to pray for, to love those who think differently, act differently, look differently, live differently, believe differently, vote differently. Don't, don't make those your enemies. You love them. Because the Spirit is within you, bringing about the fruit of the Spirit, love. Jump down to verse 16. And we know and rely, rely on the love God has for us. He says it again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. See, love, love is a revelation. Love reveals that we know God. Love reveals that we love God. Love reveals that we live in God and God lives in us. John says there's one thing. One thing. And he had heard it from Jesus 50, 60 years earlier in that upper room where Jesus took the bread and he took the cup. When Jesus said these words in John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One thing. Cornwall Church, we as followers of Christ who have been loved with an everlasting love, who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who experience 
a love that will never end. Are called to love not the way this world loves, at a different level, to interact, to respond, to take the initiative selflessly, sacrificially, to love like our Lord did. Beloved, he says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love is of God, it's from him. And everyone who loves is born of God, knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. That's our calling.